this morning's message is not a part of a, a sermon series as our teaching often is. But this morning, it's just a message that I feel confident God wants me to pass along to you as he's used it to help me. And it's a message on perspective. One of the gifts which faith gives is a new way of looking at the life you are living, a new perspective on what you are going through. A perspective is always helpful, always, but it's especially necessary when you are living in a time of change or trial, when you're facing challenges, when there are things happening that you didn't want to have happen, but you have to go through them anyway, that's when especially perspective becomes important. I'm assuming that a lot of you are in a place like that right now. Am I correct? Yes. And if you're not, if for you right now life is easy and everything is just right, then do not think that this message isn't for you. You are responsible for taking what you learn and passing it along to someone else who needs perspective because life has become challenging for them in a way that has narrowed their vision and they can't see clearly. So can we agree this is for all of us? Okay, the perspective that we'll uh, receive, I'm gonna tell you right up front what you're going to get, okay? Uh, first of all, you're gonna get a perspective that teaches us that we are in God's hands. Sometimes it feels like God is very far away from us like we're far away from him, but I'm going to show you that we're in God's hands. Second thing you're going to see is that God's hands are working on us. We're not in his hands for nothing. He's actually actively crafting us now. And then the third thing you'll see is that God's efforts in crafting us are guided by a good plan that is in God's mind, that has been and will continue to be in his mind. And this perspective is going to come from Jeremiah, a young man who was a prophet. God had come to Jeremiah in a time that, uh, how do I put this, uh, in a time that had a crazy perspective, when even the people of God, the people of Israel, couldn't see straight when it seemed like the distorting effects of culture had made everybody crazy. Does that sound familiar? In a time like that, it was the 7th century BC, God came to Jeremiah, this young man, and gave him a divine perspective on how it was between God and his people. And, and, and God did this through a vivid illustration that he presented to Jeremiah and, and it was a, an illustration to offer perspective, and it was for the people of Israel, those who were the descendants of the Hebrews, the, the people that God had summoned out of captivity uh, in, in Egypt, um, but now they were in captivity, spiritual captivity, even though they were free of Egypt, they were in spiritual captivity because they had wandered from God, and they needed perspective again. And so God gave it to Jeremiah for people who were spiritually imprisoned, and it is for you and for me because in faith, we are invited, whether descendants of Abraham or not, to be a part of God's family. That's how it works with Jesus. And some of us are willing children, and some of us are messed up kids. 
All of us need perspective. And so if you would open your eyes and your heart now to divine perspective for how to look at your life now, our life now, watch what God will do. The lesson comes in the 18th chapter of the book bearing Jeremiah's name where we learn about this vision that God gives to this young man. Here's how it begins in verse one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. God addresses the prophet who's there in the temple on the hill in Jerusalem. And God says, leave the temple away from the religious building. Outside of the city wall, go down to the valley that runs on the south side of Jerusalem, God says. And when you get there, I'm gonna let you hear my words. It's verse three. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. On the hillside next to the stream, that's where the potter's workshop is because that's where the clay is. As the water winds its way through that valley, it creates that clay deposit there, which is free material to work with. Jeremiah makes his way into the workshop, and there is the artist sitting at his wheel. He's got a project there, which is spinning before him, and his hands are on it. And now he's ready to hear the word of God. Watch what happens. This is verse 4. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. At first, Jeremiah sees the man with his hands on that vessel. It's spinning, he's working, but then something's going wrong with the clay. It begins to wobble a little. It becomes off balance, misshapen, and as it spins, it starts to get worse and worse until it crumples, and there it is in a big heap right there on the wheel. The clay was spoiled, and so the wheel stops, and Jeremiah can see now that the craftsman is considering what to do next. Should he set aside this project that was ruined and and just pick up a fresh ball of clay? Or should he keep working with this lump for which everything has gone wrong? He starts the wheel again and holds on to that lump of clay. And choosing not to throw it aside, but to get back to work on this piece that had become spoiled. Verse five, then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? God asks Jeremiah, can you see in what I'm showing you here, not just a man at work with some clay, but can you see God at work with his people? Can you see, Jeremiah asks him, 
through this image what I'm up to with you. With you, O house of Israel, the ones who have in a way become spoiled. Can you see what I'm up to? And then he adds, just like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Don't just look at the potter, but look at the clay too. You see that clay there, that's you, God is saying. You see the artisan there with his intentions and his will and his design that's in his mind that keeps him working with what otherwise he might have discarded. That's me. Can you see? God says to Jeremiah, use your imagination now, would you? The artist and his project, God and his people Israel. God drew this people out of oppression in Egypt because he wanted to bless the whole world through them. And so God got to work on the people of Israel and he established them in this land, in this magnificent city, which if you visit today, it will take your breath away. I was there a few months back. It's stunning. There, God, God's project got to work. God started to spin Israel on the wheel and he started to make something of them. But then they turned away from him to their own dismay and ruin and it got bad. What will God do? That question, what will God do? It's not just a question for Israel. It's a question for every man and every woman who today says, I have decided to invest some of my trust in Jesus. Because if you've done that, the door to God's family swings wide open to you and you're invited in to the feast to enjoy all of the blessings and benefits of the people of God. If you are trusting Jesus, the question is for you. Will you see in this image a picture of how it is with God and you personally and us all together as a church? Will we? In verse four, this image that God gives to the prophet, there are three descriptive clauses, uh, moments where God directs the prophet's attention to how it is with the clay and the potter, which if we see them through them, we'll see perspective for our lives. And we need that. I need that. Does anyone who need, anyone here who needs that, would you verbalize it somehow? Yes. yes. And oh gosh, it's so weird to speak up in church, but get over it. The, the first lesson for you and, and please, this is not just theoretical stuff or ideas. This is truth. The first lesson comes in the location of the clay. Look carefully with me at it. The spoiled clay is in the potter's hand. Now, ordinarily, that's just where you'd expect clay to be. But when you have all the new clay you could want right beside your workshop and a piece of clay gets spoiled, what any sensible artist does is he throws it away because it's already been used and it's not worth it. But not this potter. The spoiled clay is in his hand and this is a picture of God in you. And it declares that when you are spoiled, God doesn't let go of you. But that instead here, this is the first lesson. Look at it up here. We are in God's hands. That is the truth. Think of Israel for a moment. Any person who decides to read the Old Testament from start to finish is in for a wild ride. 
I'm serious. I'm reading through uh, Genesis for the seventh or eighth time in my life this month. It is stunning how messed up the people of God are. I'm serious. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he is awful. He is spoiled. I'm serious. The guy's a liar. He's deceitful. He got the birthright by his mom and him schemed to steal it from his older brother. Are you with me, anybody? But spoiled clay is not discarded by God because that's how God has decided to do it. And so if you look at yourself and you say, well, yeah, I've made all kinds of mistakes. I've done the wrong thing over and over again. I knew the right thing and I did the wrong thing anyway. You are just like the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And for you, the truth in this divine perspective is that you're in God's hands still. He will not let go of you. That's not how he operates. He chooses to hold uh, onto the spoiled clay still, not only when you've done everything right, but even when you've become spoiled, when life gets out of balance and wobbly and the whole project comes crashing down because other people have done the wrong thing to you, you're still in God's hands. When you're the one who's done the wrong thing to others, you're still in God's hands. When we are stubborn and inflexible and rigid, when we sin because we fall back into those old habits, can anyone say, I do that? Yes, when that's true of you, God keeps you in his hands still. In Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul says that in Romans 8. You can read it on your own. He says it with gusto. I'm confident of this, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not life or death, not angels or rulers or principalities or powers. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ. And nothing means nothing because God remains true to his commitments to us. And please, dear friends, open your hearts to this truth now. Some of you know it already and you need to remember it. Some of you, maybe you are here this morning, have not heard this, but it's true. You are in God's hands because you matter to him, because he loves you, because he cares about you even when you are spoiled clay. If you accept this perspective on your life right now, that you are still in God's hands, no matter how spoiled life has become, and you let that perspective encourage you, then you are in the right place. Because here, listen, because God's hands are forgiving hands, willing to gently wash away the mess that you've made. His hands are gracious. God's hands are healing hands. When you suffer because of wounds that are beyond you to heal, physical wounds, spiritual wounds, emotional wounds, mental wounds, when you're in God's hands, then he is the great physician who will heal every wound. His hands are protective hands. You may not know it, but they keep you from harm. He shelters you, keeping you from all kinds of misery because he loves you and you're precious to him. His hands are creative hands. This is... Uh, the adjective that fits best with this vision here, his hands know how to shape you. He is the potter and you are the clay. And he keeps the spoiled clay for a reason. This is where our second lesson is, the second bit of perspective. Come back to verse four for a moment. That spoiled clay is in his hands for a reason. Here, look at it. He reworked it. This is so simple, but it is also incredibly important to get this. The potter keeps the spoiled clay in his hands because he is not done working with it yet. 
it may think he's done, he's not. The spoiled clay may want to take itself out of his hands. Sorry, clay. In the potter's hands, listen to this right now. This may be the most important sentence you've ever heard. In the potter's hands, the present state of the clay does not determine its future possibilities. Hallelujah. How things are now does not have to determine how things will be because we are not in our own hands. We're in the hands of the potter. And his ideas about us, his uh, plan for us, his vision, he, he keeps us in his hands because, and this is the second perspective that's gonna come up right here that you're invited now to take into your heart because God is not done yet. Just like the potter is not done yet in this vision. For every broken-hearted spouse whose marriage has ended, God is not done yet. For every young person whose life is thrown into disarray because their parents got divorced, God is not done yet. For every father here right now who's feeling so broken because his children are going in the wrong direction, God is not done yet. For every mother who can hear me who's weeping because she can't help her children, God is not done yet. For every Young adult, without any hope or any prospects whatsoever, God is not done yet. For every man who strives to be like Christ but keeps failing, God is not done yet. For every woman who knows the right next steps but can't get herself unstuck, God is not done yet. For the person who looks in the mirror and doesn't like what he sees, God is not done yet. Is that encouraging? Amen. Amen. excited, okay? <laughs> Here's why, listen. We are the clay in the potter's hands and the work that the potter is going to do on the clay will not be pleasant for the clay. So God's way of making us will hurt. It will but it is a good hurt because the potter is good through and through. I mean, just put yourself in the clay's position for just a moment. Use your imagination. After it wobbles, what does the potter have to do? He has to crush it down into a ball. Does that sound fun? No. The things that we have built without God, which we think are good, have to be crushed by him before he can get about making us into the woman that he wants us to be or the man he wants us to be. And that's not gonna be pleasant. After making it into a ball, I know this because my son has started to learn how to make pottery. After it's made into a ball, it has to be pounded over and over again until every single air bubble comes out of it. Otherwise, after it's shaped and put in the kiln, it will explode. And so can you imagine God pounding you over and over and over and over again? You might think, why isn't God helping me? Life is so hard. All discipline is unpleasant. Divine discipline is just the same. It's unpleasant. But my dear friends, it is for our good. It is. And I can tell you this because the only way you could know how much God loves you is if a miracle happened. 
That's why Paul prays in Ephesians that we would know how great God's love for us is in Christ because only divine intervention could help us know how much he loves us. So when discipline, like the pounding of an artist on that ball of clay, is hard for you, pray, God, help me trust and know again that this is how you love me. You're making me. You're changing me. You are not done yet. You can say that when it's difficult. After pounding the clay, what is the... What is the Potter do, he puts it on the center of his wheel and he starts spinning it. And for a long time, the clay is moving but going nowhere. Have you ever felt like that in life? I'm just going in circles. That's how God makes this new vessel. You should not be surprised if your progress as a daughter of the Most High, as a son of the true king, feels like it's not going anywhere. God is still working. And it will be some spinning. Okay, as it spins there, then he applies consistent pressure over a long period of time, pushing the clay in a direction that it doesn't want to go on its own. It's going to be the same with God's work on you. But here, take this in the way that I mean it. Grow up. (laughs) Grow up. Let's be mature and accept that divine shaping. Of course, it will be difficult. But my dear friends, the purposes of God are better than all that you could ask for or even imagine. Again, that's an element of faith. But here, I'm inviting you to grow in faith, to accept this perspective that God will continue to rework us as long as we are in his hands. And you're not going to get so old that he's done with you. And nobody in here is too young that he hasn't already begun to work on you. Amen? Amen. Okay, one more lesson. I want you to look very carefully with me at this one. The potter's work on the spoiled clay was, was like this. Look, it was as seemed good to him. Do you know that sometimes what seems good to God doesn't seem good to us? As he began to rework that clay, there was a new vision in the mind of the potter. And that vision guided his work. And the clay has no chance of understanding the complexity of that plan. Isn't that obvious? And the truth about you and about me is that God is as far above me as the potter is above the clay in terms of his intellect and his will and his designs and his vision. And I need to accept, and so do you, that God has a good Plan, and that's our third perspective here. God has a good plan according to which he's making us. And sometimes that good plan which God has for us will feel like a bad plan, but that's because we are brainless like clay compared to the potter. And I just called you brainless. (laughs) But I am here now. I am. Because God's plan for me Christian Andrews was better than Christian Andrews's plan was for him. 
I was reminded this morning by my daughter, I really like my kids, <laughs> that seven years ago today was when we moved up here for me to become a pastor here. I've shared about this in other settings, but for two years before coming here, I prayed to God every day that I would not have to leave Red Bank. That was my plan for me. It was not God's plan for me. And if I had gotten my plan for me, I would know none of you, except for my family who came up here with me. Isn't that stunning to think of? It is for me. It makes it so I have absolutely zero ambivalence about the truth that when there's a difference between your plan for you and God's plan for you, God's plan is always better every time. And because God's heart for you is pure and unadulterated love and benevolence, you can accept that. And trust that the plans he has for you are for your good and not for your harm. For a future with a hope and blessings beyond what you could even dream, it's true. You may be right now spinning in circles and feeling like you're going nowhere. You may be right now pounded over and over again by the divine discipline that is for your own good and it might not feel like it. But take it from someone who's lived through discipline and difficulties and years of darkness. It is good to trust that you are in the hands of one who has a good plan for you. Do not overestimate your ability to assess the depths of God's ways. The potter knows better than the clay. There's one moment in Isaiah which is just so funny. He asks the question, shall the potter be regarded by the clay so that the thing made says of, it, says of its maker, he didn't make me. And in Hebrew, it has that inflection. Or the thing formed, say, of the one who formed it, he has no understanding. That was my best attempt at a dumb voice. <laughs> when there is a difference between what you want and what God wants, trust God. What seems good to him will always be better for you than what seems good to you. Now, here's where I'm going to end with something practical. Your part and my part. And it is. And it's, it's our part altogether as a church as well. As it was Israel's part, is to take this perspective, these three perspectives, into our assessment of life. To let this outlook of faith shape the way that we see what's happening to us. And it's our responsibility to do that. To see the circumstances that we're in and, and to believe God has us in his hands, to trust that when it doesn't feel like it, to still trust it. Maybe you'll ask him, help me know it, help me believe it. Maybe you'll talk to other people that he's put into your life who are of the community of faith to say, I need you to remind me of this. But that's first to say we're in God's hands and then to believe that he is still working because he's not done yet on us and to trust that, to believe it. And to let that reality shape our experience of what we're going through. Uh, to be flexible. To be pliable like good clay. Uh, to let the circumstances that God has in hand beat us up a little bit. And to not lose heart or to, to become afraid. And then it is to strive after, to seek after the plan that God has. The plan that God 
is using to make us. To make you, for me it is to make me, and I'm still at this. And then for us, and I'll end here, for us as a church, for Renaissance Church, to trust and believe, God's not done with us yet. We are in God's hands as a church, and he is reworking this church as seems good to him. And dear friends, that means in a way that is good for the world, in a way that draws people not to us, but to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord of Israel, the Lord of of his people, the Lord who opens the door and says, come to me and be saved. Shall we do that together? Yeah, let's pray now and ask God to enable us to. God, we thank you so very much for the perspective which you gave to Jeremiah in that vivid illustration of the potter and the clay. We thank you for your people who have preserved your word for us in writing so that today you can speak in the power of your spirit through these ancient words. I'm so very grateful for every single person who you've brought together into this place this morning. It was your design that we should be here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would say what only you can say to every heart in this room, to every person who listens at a distance. We need to hear from you. Remind us in the way that only you can that we are in your hands, your loving and caring and capable hands. Remind us to receive the things that are out of your control, out of our control, trusting that they're not out of your control, trusting that you are reworking us always. Give us the patience and the endurance the long-suffering, the strength to keep going. And then I pray that you would inspire us in our hearts and in our mind's eyes to see that you have a good plan and that it's guiding you in the ways that you're at work on each one of us individually and on this church, Renaissance Church, altogether. God, help each one of us right now say sincerely that you are our God and we are your people. Help me say that again and again, that I am yours. Use me. Make me. Make us. And then use us according to your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.